Welcome to FIC Focus, where Bloomberg Intelligence fixed income, credit currency, and commodities strategists and analysts discuss their short and long-term views on debt markets and issuers. Now, here's the Bloomberg Intelligence FIC research team. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the 13th episode of the Credit Crunch podcast, part of the FICC podcast umbrella. This is Mahesh Bhimalingam, Chief European Credit Strategist at Bloomberg Intelligence. Uh, Bloomberg Intelligence is the research arm of Bloomberg LLP, the arguably the largest independent research franchise on the street. So uh, today we are going to discuss our uh, third quarter investor survey and our mid-year outlook, uh, both of which have come out in the last two weeks. Now, it'll be a fantastic time to see what the investors say and map it on to our own outlook. Now, today I have uh, George Flynn, head of credit at Wise Alpha and founder of uh, European High Yield Online as my guest, as we always have for these uh, survey podcasts. Welcome, George. Hi, great to be here. So let's get cracking. Okay, so um, Q3 uh, outlook, investors uh, see positive returns in high yield. Um, can you put that in the context of what we actually saw in Q2? And, you know, you can talk about your mid-year outlook and, and sort of develop from there. Yeah. So uh, it'll be, it's interesting to see that uh, last quarter, uh, people were not as positive because we just had the banking crisis. Uh, you know, it tends to be very momentum driven, this, uh, this yeah. question. Uh, so just for our listeners, high yield did very well. Uh, in the first half, it delivered 4.5% uh, total return, about 2.5% excess return. Uh, not bad at all. Uh, there was a pretty solid spread compression. Huh? Investment grade didn't see that much spread compression, by the way. Uh, high yield had a pretty solid spread compression, you know, some 45 base points of it. So we, we are in a position where uh, high yield is already riding a wave, uh, particularly after the banking crisis. So our outlook is that you're going to get uh, lower returns than the first half, uh, but the carry is still quite uh, hefty. Uh, we forecasted, you know, mildly tighter uh, spreads. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because of the bund expectation that the bund curve is going to bull steepen, quite aggressively is the forecast. Uh, but let's say, you know, forecasts tend to be wrong. Now, even if it is not as aggressive as forecasted by, you know, rate strategists, Yep. Uh, we are looking at about 3.3% for the second half. So about, you know, three quarters of uh, the of the first half and not as much excess return as before. Okay, so basically it's turning out to be a great year for high yield. As of now, as of now. Uh, but I think uh, for, the, for the year as a whole, we should end up, I mean, our forecast, if you add them up, we should end up with above 7% returns, yep. uh, which is not bad. And in terms of in terms of uh, high yield um, portfolio positioning, so we saw um, the underweight uh, basically uh, decrease. Um, so people are less underweight, but they're still underweight. So it's been a bit of a reluctant rally, right? It's kind of, you know, people have been participating in it. There's been a decent amount of supply. People have been kind of active. Um, and as you say, the return outlook is 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 relatively positive. Um, but when, when do we think uh, that starts to turn? Yeah, so, you know, this, this uh, portfolio positioning question is essentially sort of a check on 
the return forecast question are they really following up with their view yep. so if you look at the the return question clearly the the view has gone positive but people don't want to be overweight they are not as underweight as before that bit is clear now uh, but it's still a tiny underweight it used to be a big underweight last quarter people got it wrong very important people got it spectacularly wrong because momentum driven especially with the banking crisis and all the uh, doom and gloom headlines about high yield oh there is a default wave you know the one day of seven defaults in the us and so on or oh, it's coming to europe it's very easy to get blown away by the doom and gloom headlines uh, so the big underweight has gone to a small underweight now when will it go into a proper overweight uh, i think in principle i believe that you know this mega uh, quarters of returns are a bit difficult to generate now because we've had a decent end of rally so i would think we from about you know the minus 5 or minus 6% underweight will probably flip to a plus 5 plus 6 overweight but not more than that okay and then from the positioning um if we go to sort of european high yield valuations whether they're rich or cheap so essentially the big takeaway for me was that you know the survey was saying high yield spreads are now um essentially fair previously uh you know i think it was a bias towards being cheaper we've obviously had uh, we've obviously had a rally um can you just put some context around um where we are in terms of spread where we can go given your expectations and and your earlier comment right so if you look at uh, first let's address the survey so last time the survey clearly said yes spreads are wide so and they are cheap now or uh, no actually spreads are rich that's what that's what come out positive numbers on the chart for people who read the who read our survey positive means it is net rich by the way yeah. so people said it was rich uh once again that was rich according to the context of the banking crisis but what has happened is that you we had a pretty substantial rally on the recovery so now it is gone much less net net rich despite the rally mm-hmm. quite interesting uh so this is the survey Th- thinking that it is not as rich as before in fact it, the reality is the, is the exact opposite exactly yeah so it used to be a slightly cheap and from slightly cheap we've gone to pretty amply rich now so you know our normalized spread measure that we regularly publish on part of our outlook as well high euro high yield is actually notoriously rich right now given the rally uh, through this year even through the blip of march uh, it is about one standard deviation to the dot uh, rich so at one standard deviation you can't really say that it is even fair value because if it is like a minus half standard deviation you can probably say it is in fair territory slightly rich we are in proper rich territory now yeah so respondents may be getting caught up in the yeah yeah time. this this the it seems like it is a momentum uh, view basically yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly so basically one of the things that came off uh, out of the survey was the the decline in um cash um in the in the in the portfolio so if we could just quickly talk about sort of the size of that decline um what you attributed to and how you think that that's going to play out obviously in the context of what you just said around portfolio positioning yeah this this i think is the headline question in my opinion in the survey because 
it is filled by actual investors uh, any non investors are excluded in this uh, survey response uh, and this time if you noticed uh, the filling by pms and caos is nearly hit nearly 80% yeah so the responses are very very high quality so when we say that that 7.1% cash in q2 has dropped to 4.9% cash now that's a record drop you need to remember that 7.1% was an all time record high right. yeah and this 4.9% is a record low why one because supply has taken care of quite a bit of that uh, additional powder that people had uh, i you know supply in high yield is nowhere like investment grade we need to put it in context but the fact is compared to 2022 we did have some uh, supply right so that took care of some of the powder and two people have been caught being wrong in terms of being too underweight in q2 Uh, so as a result they put some powder to use and hence you know the amount of cash has dropped to 4.9 looking at the 4.9 i would like to think that the propensity for a stupendous rally is actually much less now yep. because that 4.9 is a is a good indicator like how, what is the probability that we are going to have an extraordinary rally now mm, low unless we have rampant fund flows into high yield from outside which in the which again in, difficult which given, in, given investment grade correct which in the we're going to come to the investment grade question later on which in this sort of environment um i wouldn't i wouldn't say it is going to we are going to have rampant inflows uh yeah. because there is competition um and then just on um the drivers so we had um four drivers uh in the survey um, that we asked people to comment on um so rate hikes inflation earnings and supply and for me again it was you know interesting to see earnings take uh, kind of front and center um basically fundamentals are now becoming more more uh, important we've had you know yields increase massively now people are thinking about the fundamentals do you think you're going to get see more dispersion between credits more kind of uh selectiveness from investors around what they invest in um you know give me your thoughts now this question by the way on the back of investor feedback we had to change the choices of the question yep. uh because the drivers were all very macro and i had like at least 3 or 4 pms come back people who filled uh say mm, we would have liked a micro related question because that is what we are all obsessing about right now particularly going into 2023 so we've changed the choice and no surprise that has come out as number yeah. one driver now why because you know people are obsessed with uh, defaults and fallen angels uh, given there's a little, so much doom and gloom now, this is making me laugh because i know i know that you're very yeah you know, I, if you look at the numbers yeah the numbers that. are exactly opposite to the doom and gloom scenario painted but it gets it's clickbaiting by journalists i'm very sorry to say so given all those headlines people are obsessed with this uh, single name idiosyncratic risk rising now is idiosyncratic risk rising in the market no if you look at dispersion yeah you know we regularly publish the dispersion chart on the crossover because it actually trades right yeah, yeah. 
and if you look at the crossover dispersion crossover dispersion has been dropping and it is in a very sanguine uh, state of you know uh, 75 80% you know main dispersion is around 50% crossover dispersion is 80% just to give you context in crisis times crossover dispersion is in 150 180% yeah. uh, territory so you know where is the rampant idiosyncratic risk yeah there will be a few companies going into difficulty i i don't deny that but there is no train right now so so to get put that question into context yes everybody there there is a lot of fear yeah and that fear is the reason why corporate earnings are uh, number one uh, driver but the number two driver is where the where the interesting dichotomy is people have significantly voted for inflation rather than central bank rate hikes so it looks like inflation maybe the you know reduced consumer spending inflation leading to i don't know fiscal tightening leading, uh, to, leading to recession and so on is probably a bigger worry than the central bank immediate rate hikes because probably in high yield we are not that obsessed with uh, rate hikes as much as in investment grade no right no no that that leads nicely to kind of the defaults um expectations so basically 2.2 defaults expected for q3 so we'll talk about your um default outlook from from your mid-year uh piece um i'd also like to touch on the distress ratio and kind of you know what's that telling us because we talked a little bit about crossover dispersion then the other thing to look at is the the distress ratio um so yeah um take it away yeah so uh, the default question. I think you just heard me, and you probably might have guessed what my view is. But let let's talk about the reality. There were no defaults for twenty three months in a row in the high yield index, and then we had one in first quarter, and we had another in the second quarter. So we got two in two thousand twenty three in the first half. The survey consistently predicts around two. Two to when they're very bearish, it gets towards two point eight, and when they're bullish, it gets towards two point one. It never drops below that. <laughs> there are these poor two companies. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know, I really, I, I don't think you're going to get two defaults next quarter. But let's look at candidates. I'll come to that yeah. uh, the stress distress question later. You know, you can actually count default candidates by looking at the index and then checking which ones are really close whether you look at fundamentals or ratings and so on we only see like four candidates four to five candidates for default in the next year year and a half now if all of them default like literally immediately you're going to get a default rate of 1.6 percent yeah we are currently at 0.1 percent Right, it's just those two names, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. <clears throat> so on a rolling twelve-month basis. Now, if all of them default, one point six percent, that is not going to happen uh, instantly, right? Just to give context to our listeners, the peak default rate in recent times, pandemic, was one point eight percent, right? So that's the first thing. So let's look elsewhere for defaults. You know, the loan market, which is higher higher risk. Will give you a pre, will give you an indication of where bond defaults can go. The loan market is at 0.5 percent right now. Uh, so June, I mean, we did publish a bit saying that the loan market gives an indication the defaults are going up. But yep. 
But just to give you an idea, loan default rate right now is 0.5%. So I am quite sanguine on defaults. There is not going to be a default wave in Europe. Now, what is the market pricing in terms of stress distress? Yeah, exactly. Now, the stress in terms of bonds priced 60 to 80 is around 10.5-11%. The distress bonds priced under 60 is around 4%. Now, the 4% has been quite stubborn, by the way. That is not coming down. Yeah, so, you would expect. So, but that's because of, you know, all this uh, doom and gloom headlines that we see, whether the default or not, but also because, you know, some companies do get into difficulties and yeah. so on. And it's hard you for don't, them to participate. Now, yeah. Really. And, and also you don't have a free ride now. You can't issue yourself out of trouble, right? Yeah. Because, because costs are very high. So the distress ratio at peak in October went to about 4.7, 4.8%. It's about 4 now, but it stayed around above 4 for some time. The stress ratio, though, seems to react very well to rally and uh, and drought. Yep. So, that went to about 16-17%, uh, you know, like October time. October times, it was much worse, actually. The total went to like 30. Uh, March, it was about 16-17. Now, it is about 11. Okay. So, the market is... I wouldn't say totally sanguine because the distress number is four, uh, but uh, market is not price is not under any extraordinary stress as you can see. Yeah, so so uncomfortably uncomfortably longer. One yeah. one thing I was going to ask you about was the coupons versus the yield. So you can know you, your comment a minute ago was you can no longer issue your way out of yeah. uh, uh, trouble, which is which is very true. Yeah, but just in general, given the amount of issuance we've seen. Mm. What are you? What are you? Have you seen any kind of material change between between coupon and yield? And you know, now, what are your thoughts there? We've we've had about thirty billion thirty billion index eligible issuance in the first half. It looks like oh yeah, we've had great great amount of supply, and so the the issuance environment is not that bad. Actually, it is quite bad. So if you look at net issuance, mm -hmm. the index actually lost another 14 15 billion so the 30 billion is a is quite quite misleading so the gross supply was 30 but we've had the largest ever negative net supply for yeah. first half this year so it's not been great why because even now you know if you look at where yields are versus where coupon is so yields are around you know 7.7% while coupon is around 4% so you are talking about 3.7% extra yeah. you need to pay to reissue and that is not a great environment. So I do believe that we'll, we'll struggle to see positive net supply. Just, so Just because people are going to have to pay up so much. People have to pay up and you have to pay up a lot. So yes, financials, by the way, are leading the charge, which is not which is not a good sign of uh, issuance, right? Uh, so high-yield corporates, pretty solid negative net supply. Yeah. So, yeah. And if you look at the survey, the survey seems to suggest another 10 billion uh, next next quarter. I'm of the opinion that you probably get like 10 to 12 billion for the whole second half. Okay. And in terms of this coupon versus yield and the default outlook, 
where are we in the credit cycle? And when, where, can you just maybe just literally in just three minutes, just quickly give a view of when you, when you see things normalizing or if you see things normalizing or how you see things normalizing? Yeah, I think the credit cycle is a you know pretty high level question. The way you judge it is, you know, financial conditions, lending standards. And in our world, you look at, you know, actual defaults realized, right? Uh, the pandemic, you can't count as a cycle because that is, that is you know, that's a one-off. But now, what we are going through now, I mean, with some help from Putin, uh, is part of a normal cycle. So where are we? We are still, I would think, you know, given how low defaults are in Europe, uh, and you heard my forecast, uh, we are still in early cycle, uh, early credit cycle. So I would, if you look at fallen angels, very few. Yeah. There are still a lot more rising stars than fallen angels. So if you are in like mid credit cycle, you would have seen like quite a few defaults. Uh, fallen angels, trumping, rising stars, and so on. So, in my opinion, I think uh, the mid-credit cycle is probably a second half 2024 story uh, because you got a lot more uh, rate hikes to come in. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, a lot less in Europe, a uh, lot more in UK, for example. Uh, but all of that will, need, will filter in, and then you'll probably see some dominoes drop, particularly as companies cannot issue, given how high costs are. Uh, so that's probably a mid 2024 story. As of now, we are still in early cycle. Yeah, which brings me to investment grade and uh, the asset allocation. And basically, the overweight is is still there, right? Um, so I'll let you maybe talk about your outlook for for investment grade and 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 you know the the mid year outlook. The investment grade is the biggest challenge for high yield, sadly. You know, by itself, I think high yield looks quite attractive, as you heard. Uh, we do believe positive returns will happen. Uh, but investment grade, especially if you believe in the what is going to happen to the Bund, yep. uh, given what the central banks are doing in the front end, a significant bull steep ring is expected. In such a scenario, I think investment grade, given its longer duration, uh, given its extraordinary break-even now, it is at an all-time record, yep. like a 100 basis point break-even. And and, and what, what's what's high yields break-even? High yields break-even is about 250 though, but the but, ratio yeah. is at an all-time low. Exactly. You see, we have a problem. So yeah. raw, we pay a lot in high yield, but uh, compared to investment grade, the ratio doesn't look great. Also, when spreads are normalized by their volatility, as you just heard in the previous questions, that high yield spreads are around one standard deviation rich. Investment grade is only about half a standard deviation rich. So the the what do I say? The tendency to widen is a lot less in yep. investment grade. It's it still pays like around 4.4 percent yield. At 4.4 percent yield, 170-ish spread. Very difficult to ignore uh, investment grade now, and yeah, given the uncertainty on the rates forecast, would you want to be in rates or would you want to be in investment grade? So investment grade sort of looks like uh, the ideal place to be, yep. whether you look from a credit perspective or from a rates or a, from an overall fixed income perspective versus rates. Yeah. So 
I am not surprised that people are gung ho into IG. Now, our forecasts are that investment grade is going to deliver about 2.6, 2.7% total return. Second half, yep. high yield 3.3. For just 0.7, do you really yeah, want to be in risk. high yield? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and um, in terms of uh, the the bull steepening, um, you've mentioned it a few times now. Can you just put maybe a little bit of context around the timing and kind of you know what, what you guys are talking internally um, amongst yourselves as strategists here? Yeah. So the if you look at uh, consensus forecasts BYFC on the terminal, is a humongous amount of bull steepening uh, forecast, like because. You expect the front end, the two year to come in, you know, forecasts are anywhere from uh, 30 to 70 basis points, right? So that means the, the curve is going to pretty significantly bull steepen. Now, people might change their forecasts. Uh, you, that may not be realized. If you look at the forwards, the forwards are pricing in a lot less, but still about 20, 20 yeah, 25 yeah. Uh, basis points. Our uh, internal strategist view is that the two-year rally being forecast by the market probably is a bit too much. Mm -hmm. So, he's probably close to the forwards, right? Okay. So, we may not get as much, which is why I was very conservative in what yeah. I assumed. Yeah. Otherwise, you're going to get even more returns, by the way, in and, IG. And then, just in terms of uh, the excess return in IG, I think we talked total return. Just quickly mention excess returns. Uh, excess, excess returns, interestingly, despite the humongous carry in high yield, uh, if in total return terms, the lead is about 0.7, in excess return terms, the lead is even less. Okay. Right? Okay, because yeah. high yield spreads, we don't expect them to rally much because of what they've done in first half already. So, uh, excess return wise, it is even less of a play. Yeah. So, high, high yield looks, looks, looks okay to good, but investment grade investment looks, much, looks much better. better. It yeah. is, high yield is a pure carry play now. Now, this one... European high yield is basically increased uh, in terms of its uh, preference with with our survey um, uh, survey correspondents. Why is that? Uh, why do you, you why, mean you mean relative to US? Relative to US. So yeah. So what? Why? 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 Why is that? And kind of. I mean, obviously, we we talk a lot about energy in this in this podcast. But I mean, can you talk maybe a bit more about sort of you know why this is increasing? Why this yeah. is why this is getting a, a larger. Now, oh, yes. as you as you must have seen, uh, compared to 2022, 2023 is a very different story with respect to commodities. 2022, if you look at the you know the BlackRock multi-asset uh, return chart that they tend to publish, uh, is pretty quite obvious. Commodities were the number one asset class last year. Mm -hmm. This year, worst asset class. So, what does that mean? What does that mean for US high yield with about 20% of of Credits being oil slash oil related, right? Yeah, yeah. That doesn't look good. That's part one. Two, European high yield is one notch better rated. But we pay 55 basis points more because US high yield has rallied too much. So, yeah, we may not look super relative to European investment grade, but with respect to US high yield, better quality, less commodity exposure, uh, higher spread, and guess what? We are even one sixth shorter DVO one. Yeah. So I, I I can't see why you can't you, fault it. You can't fault uh, why people want to be in European high yield, and I think I totally agree with that. Perfect. Now, uh, 
let's get to ratings. Um, so no surprises, quality continues to kind of rule the roost. Um, but I, I'll, I'll just let you kind of talk about this because this one is kind of a staple. Yeah, no, we, we spoke about investment grade and that has come through in terms of, you know, by ratings, where do they want to be? Investment grade is the you know top choice. Within the high yield uh, rating bands, single B, double B and triple C, the when we analyze the rating band spreads, we have a we have a research deck on that which comes out every month. Right now, it is very clear that all lower rated notches are looking rich to higher rated higher uh, higher rated bands. Right, so high yield is looking rich to investment grade. Single Bs are looking rich to double Bs. Double Bs are looking rich to triple Bs. So, uh, and that has come through in terms of uh, the survey that investment grade is number one, double Bs are say number two, single Bs are number three, and triple Cs are totally avoidable. Now, triple Cs being totally avoidable is the only one I have a debate on. I think triple Cs, if you adjust by spread per turn uh, or related to the ratings, they're not compressed as much. Uh, they have compressed. I don't. De I don't deny that, but not compressed as much. But overall, which all which ties into the distress ratio, doom and gloom. Yeah, and... yeah. All lower rated notches do look rich, and I think it makes complete sense what they have come up with. Whether it is by SPTL, whether it is spread ratio, uh, whichever measure you you use. Yep. And then lastly, uh, just on sector positioning, which again has been defensive continues to be defensive yeah um let's basically hear you know maybe your mid-year outlook and kind of you know tie it in with that yeah uh given that you know spreads are rich return forecasts are not great uncertainty on the return forecast i think that's the more important bit you can have a you can have a most likely return measure but the spread around it is a bit wide on high yield unlike investment grade right yeah, yeah. so and hence people are going to go defensive and no surprise people have gone significantly uh overweight non-cyclicals uh remember their usual favorite banking is still there it's yeah. there is number two so non-cyclicals number one and banking number two and they're underweight cyclicals big time and also other uh, aggressive sectors like basic industry and so on are also not as favored. And just on the banking, I mean, obviously they've had, uh, you know, they've had a good, a good couple of quarters, and now you know we'd expect that maybe to continue with rates. But at some point there has to be a give back. When are you thinking that banking starts moving through the rankings the other way? Uh, for the near term, I don't see so. Because again, a twenty twenty four mid year twenty twenty four. Yeah, or... yeah. You need a yeah. You need a you need a post cycle rally time for banking to be like going down the choice spectrum. Because what sort of banking is in European high yield is subs yep. of uh, high rated banks and lower quality peripheral bank senior and senior as proven through many crises is money good. So I don't think uh, I don't think you're going to get you're going you, to get. You banking. think it's just going to be a carry a carry allocation for? Uh, it, carry allocation and it's also it's relatively safer allocation. You know, bank going bust. Uh, at worst, you saw a bank getting taken over. Yeah, yeah. But the senior was proven many uh, money good. I think that's the important yeah. takeaway. And given that the 
majority of banking in her yield is all peripheral senior i i struggle to see them uh, written down even though they have even though they have write down characteristics built in and finally one cheeky last question is just on geography within europe um did in your mid-year outlook did you cover kind of geographies or do you have a particular view on geographies yeah we had our uh, in our last podcast uh, we had a we had a, uh, a french pm as our uh, guest uh, you know the french the french generally tend to be a bit more uh, what do i say conservative on high yield than yep. uh, than the uk portfolio manager <laughs> sitting here and you heard from him uh, you know he we spoke about you know what's happening with casino uh, and so on by geography i think if you look at the spread of credits you know the french credits still dominate european copper bond markets yes definitely huge huge in uh, investment grade and similarly huge in uh, in high yield uh, that plus the italians uh, right now by geography i would go more by sector rather than by geography yeah so basically there, there's there's no kind of geographical bias it's kind of i would i would nothing to worry about yeah i do it. have one geographical bias if it, if you push me i'm pushing i i am going to struggle to pick uk credits yep uk small credits sitting in high yield are are a bit of a higher risk i would like to think than general european yep yeah that makes sense right so that concludes uh, uh this this podcast our 13th one and uh, as you must have noticed the we in europe are going to be doing every month in the first two weeks in for regular listeners the later half one we've handed over uh, to our us colleagues now so you're going to have two credit crunch podcasts as before but one europe and one us and for all the uh, research both the outlook and survey and the data of both please refer to bistrte with that thank you george thank you and thanks to all our listeners uh, for uh, listening to this podcast thank you cheers